So today, we're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 21. All things new. How many people feel like they're 100% new? How many people act like they're new? I think we struggle in that area because I think what happens is we hold on to our past. We hold on to the things that, that have been paid for. And we don't take what God says as reality. See, we want new things. I mean, in everything from phones, computers, to even the latest dishwashing liquid, we want the new and improved version. We just do. It's, it, 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 it's in our DNA, I guess. We just like new stuff. And, and so we just want new stuff, but we don't know how to be new. Often, however, getting something new is not a luxury, is it? But a necessity. Sometimes you've been driving the same car for, for so long that it, it breaks down and there's no fix in it. So you need a new one. Whether it's brand new or new to you, it's new. Everyone has experienced the need to replace an old malfunctioning item with a new one. We've all had that time where we've had to replace something because it doesn't work anymore. I dropped my uh, cell phone one too many times and it didn't work. So recently I had to buy a new cell phone, which I wasn't going to do because I didn't need a new cell phone, but until my other one didn't work anymore. And it wasn't calling out, and it wasn't answering, and I wasn't getting calls, so I went and got a new cell phone. A few years ago, I'd have just went and got a new cell phone to get a new cell phone. But this time, I needed it because it had been dropped one too many times. And it didn't work anymore, so I had to replace it. See, when Christ came, he replaced the old system with his plan of salvation. Not your plan, his plan. He is the author of all things. He creates all things new. He wants us to know that our lives can be made new. How are our lives new in Christ? How is your life new in Christ? Have you ever thought about that question? How is my life different than before I was a Christian. Sometimes I look at myself and go, there isn't any difference. I'm still the same person I was before I met Christ. And that's scary. That's scary. Because I don't want to be that person. See, but Jesus is the only power that can make us new. Nothing else can remake you new. Do you know why? Because he's the creator of you. So he knows where you're broken. Because he created you. 
So he knows how to fix you and make you whole again. But sometimes we don't let him. Second Corinthians 5.16 says, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we, re- we regard him thus no longer. You see, when you was in your old self, you were in the flesh. You did fleshly things. You did things that, that you wouldn't do now, I hope. Because you was living for the world and not for Christ. He goes on to say this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. The old has passed away. How can we struggle with this so much? How come we live in our past so much? How come our past affects the way we live today? We feel guilt and shame for things that we did before we met Jesus. Or even if, hey, I know Jesus and there's some things I feel shame and, and guilt for that I've done since I've met Jesus. But here's the thing. Is Jesus paid for it all? He didn't just pay for part of it, and now you've got to earn the rest of your salvation. He paid for it all. What is in the past is in the past. You can't, you can't dig it back up. It's not yours to dig up. It doesn't even belong to you anymore. He has took it away. He, he says, it is is finished. It is finished. It is over. But how come? How come? We live in the guilt of shame of our past. Because we're not putting our trust in Christ. When we have become a new creation, as soon as you accepted Christ into your life, You became a new creation. The old has passed away. The new is here. You see, do you realize? I don't think we really believe that sometimes. That's why we dig it up all the time. Because we obviously, when this, when we, when we say we feel guilt or we, we have a pity party for ourselves because of something we did in our former days, we're saying, Jesus, your sacrifice was not enough. I need to go to the cross myself every single day because I'm the one who did it. We're saying, Jesus, you're not enough for me. You may be enough for that person over there, But you're not enough for me. 
I'll tell you something about your past. You can't change it. It's done. So you have to start living for today. Not feeling shame or guilt because of something that happened yesterday. You live for today. See, we constantly review the past. And it's, it, it is often difficult to accept that God puts our past in the past. See, God doesn't even choose to remember it. You've got a, a being that is all-knowing that says, I'm not going to remember that about you. When I look at you, I'm going to look at you through Jesus' eyes and, and see Jesus' righteousness in you. That is what happens when you accept Christ. So why do we so easily feel guilt and shame for our past? Something that we cannot change. When we say we faithfully believe that God is who he is, Jesus did what Jesus said he was going to do, and he rose from the grave and he covered your sin when he did that. When he died, he paid the price. We're going to get to that in a minute, Robert. But it's not open mic night today. See, we don't always look new. But where it counts, we are. Where it counts, we are. If you've accepted Christ, you are new. This is only possible because we're in Christ. See, we have this idea of being in Christ. This is our union with Christ. And it's Christ covering our shortcomings and our weaknesses. See, maybe this illustration will help us to understand what being in Christ is like. Matt Chandler said it like this one time. No one in this room can fly. Can any of you fly? No. You're going to jump. So, so if, we, if we took you up on the top of our roof, this building, and we all went out in the parking lot, to watch, when you jumped, you would what? Fall. Yes, you would fall. You see, you would try to fly by jumping and you'd probably make it two foot off the, 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 the roof, higher than the roof, and then you'd go, and it'd be a pretty rough landing. See, you see, we don't possess the ability to fly. But if we take your non-flying aviational challenge self and we put you in a, a 747, now you can fly 600 miles an hour at 40,000 feet. 
You see, you are limited outside of the plane. Inside the plane, you are not limited. See, where you are limited is outside of Christ in your sinfulness, in your weakness, in your depression, in your despair. But in Christ, you aren't weak in that way. When you live in Christ, you're not weak. Just like if you're in the plane, you can fly. In Christ, you can live. In Christ, we are forgiven fully, freely, and forever. See, Paul is saying here, in Christ, the old is gone and the new has come. So the best picture, a picture for our minds of what this looks like, comes from the pa- a passage in Ezekiel. Here it is. Ezekiel eleven nineteen says this, And I will give them one heart and a new spirit. I will put within them, I will remove the heart of stone. From their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. See what happens when those of us who are outside of Christ come into Christ. The Bible says that what God does in Jesus Christ is he removes our heart of stone. See and then he replaces it with a heart of flesh. So that in our being... Before Christ, there is a cap on what we're able to feel, how we're able to move, how we're able to interact with the world around us, what our understanding of God is, and what we believe He is like. All of this, all of it, has a kind of this picture of being being stony. Things don't grow well in stony ground. See, you and I have hearts of stone. So what does he do? He moves the heart of stone and he replaces it with a heart of flesh. The heart of flesh is put in its place. So, there's a couple of ways that this, there's multiple ways, but here's a couple of ways this would show up in your life. See, a heart of flesh is going to be awakened to its consciousness, whereas the heart of stone probably isn't. Take it, all of us have been young once. All of us, at some point, most of us, didn't know Christ. Okay? And I don't need to tell any stories about what my life was like before I met Christ. Or what my life was like when I was a 16-year-old boy doing 16-year-old boy things that doesn't know Christ. I don't need to say stories like that because everybody knows what I'm talking about, okay? But when you get a heart from God, a heart of, of flesh, it changes you. You don't think like that anymore. Or 
The heart of flesh is also tender towards the suffering and sorrow of others. When you actually accept Christ, you put others before yourself. That is living in Christ. That he has gave you a, heart, a fleshly heart that, that has sympathy for other people and what other people are going through. You're not selfish anymore. See, stony hearts are selfish. But when we live in Christ, we don't, we're not selfish anymore because we want to give what has been given to us. The love, the grace, the mercy that has been poured out on our lives. We want to, to just have everybody feel that. If you've really got Jesus, that's how you'll feel. You'll want to share it with the world. You won't want to hold on to it. Second Corinthians 5, 18 and 19 say, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to, us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. See, we enjoy a new covenant. When you're in Christ and when you're a new creation, you enjoy being part of the new family, a new people. The new covenant that Jesus promised us. See, at once we were separated for God. When you didn't know God, you were separated from God. We were indeed separated whether we knew it or not. Even though I denied God for many years, I didn't realize at the time, how separated I was from him. Romans 6.1 says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue to sin that grace may abound? No. See, here's the thing. Do you know what's funny about this, that the Romans, is that, if Robert hadn't left the, the building, he would got his answer right now. Uh, but he goes on to say, by no means, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Okay? So, Romans is, is, is funny because he's talking about, should we sin because we're forgiven? Should we continue to sin? And he says, by no means. But later, but later in verse, in, in chapter 7, verse 15, he says, For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. And there's been lots of discussions about that passage. Well, who's Paul talking about? Is it Paul? Is it is it baby Christian? Is it oh this is if you read the whole chapter, this is mature 
been following Christ, loves him to death, Paul. This is a guy who is seriously following Christ and still struggles with sin. Not past sin. He died to his old sin. He's struggling with the the sin that keeps popping in your life every day because we have a battle that we fight. The flesh battles the godly I'm in Christ side. The righteous side is being fought at by the unrighteous side. See, but we are reconciled to him. Reconciliation isn't a a thing that happens like we're reconciled, but he sanctifies after he reconciles. Sanctification, by the way, takes a long time. We were reconciled as soon as we accepted Christ. He said, your sins are forgiven. I will hold them not against you anymore. But then he does this thing called sanctification, where he's continually working in your life. I should have took them onions from you, actually. It would have been a good uh, sermon illustration right now. Because our sin is like onion. You know, you got, that, you got the skins on the outside. They pretty come off pretty easy. And, you know, they, they just fall off. So when you, when you meet Christ and you accept Christ in, into your life, the big sins that are in your face, in your face, just kind of peel off really easy. And then you, you, you've got layers and layers and layers of sin. And the longer you follow Christ, the more you realize, wow, I didn't know that was a sin. I didn't, and here's the thing about sin. is something that's a sin for me is not a sin for you. Some sins are just personal. If it, the definition of sin, by the way, the definition of sin is something that turns your eyes off of Jesus, turns your eyes away from God. Watching too much TV turns your eyes off of, off of God. If you've got a problem streaming Netflix and watching shows for 12 hours a day because you've got to watch every single episode in one day, you might have a problem with sin. That might be something that you might want to look at. Okay? Alcoholism. For some people, alcohol they can't just have one drink. If they have one drink, they're going to have two, three, four. They're going to drink till they've got nothing else to drink. And then they're going to find a way to get something else to drink. You can just want too much stuff. These are personal sins that some people have to struggle with and some people don't. But I can tell you this, everyone in here struggles with personal sin. In their life. Something that is hard for them. That they have to fight every single day. Yet they're in Christ. They know Jesus. But we should enjoy the new covenant. You see. The relationship is, is been mended. 
And, and, and when, when you accept Christ, by the way, all them offences that I was saying that caused you grief and caused you to feel guilty and shame, to God, they're as if they never happened. To God, all them offences are like they never, ever happened. So why do we feel shame and guilt still? Why do we hold on? Because you see, here's the problem. is because we feel shame and guilt, guess what happens? We commit the same offence over and over again because we can't let it go. That's why we have a sin problem. That's why we struggle with the battle of sin. It's because we don't take the forgiveness truly how God meant to give it to us. That he doesn't see them offenses, so we don't need to feel shame or guilt for the stupid stuff we did. We can say, it's finished. I'm going to live for today, and I'm going to live for God today. And then maybe, hey, maybe I'm going to mess up today. You don't have to say that part, but maybe if you do, you go to God and say, hey God, forgive me, I want to follow you so bad. And I know that that offends you. And I don't want to do that anymore. Take that offense. And make me new. See. The reason. That God sees every offense like it never happened. Is because Christ died for you. That is the beautiful mystery of the cross. How the weight of all of that sin that was crushing Jesus in the garden and crushing him while he was being uh, punished and then crushed him while he was nailed to the cross and crushed him when he was jabbed in the side and, and all of that was so he didn't have to hold the offenses that you have done against him and will do against him. But if you battle with the same sin over and over again, have you really forgotten it? Or are you holding on to it and not not letting it go? Finally, he ends by saying, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. See, we experience a new compulsion. See, We are reconciled to become reconcilers. How many people here have stuff that today you could say to yourself, well, I've really got a problem with that person or or situation. How can I reconcile it? I think we all could. There's all something in our lives that we could look at and go, I need to reconcile this. 
Not because they deserve it. And they might deserve it. But the problem is, most of the time, you've been offended by somebody that doesn't deserve your forgiveness, your grace, and your mercy. Does that sound familiar? Because I can tell you this, you don't deserve God's grace, His mercy, His love. None of you. I don't. He should despise us. He should just have killed us. But he didn't. He sent his son to die in your place. See, because of that, we have been made ambassadors for Christ. That's what Dave said during communion. He didn't just die for, for us. He died for everybody out there that, that, that we need to minister to. It's like I said, invite people to church next week. Hey, they get a free meal. Tell them to come enjoy some food. Be ambassadors. If, how many people would love to see this? And I do want hands raised here. How many people would love to see this church be full? Okay. When was the last time you invited somebody to church? But, but here's the thing is, it should be all, all the time. We all fail here. I'm not saying all you fail. We all fail, me included. We need, if, if house people going to, we, we just think people are going to stumble up to the broken sign and pull in our long driveway and go, hey, this will be a good place to hang out for Sunday morning. No, we've got to tell people. And that's, by the way, we love to do stuff as a family, like these picnics, are, uh, uh, we want to do it as a family, but we also do them as a church, so it gives a good opportunity to invite people to church that normally wouldn't come, and they might like what they see before they get to eat, and they might come back, or they might come and they might not come back. But it might have planted a seed in their head. And a year from now or two years from now, when they're going through something in life that they can't handle, they might say, wow, remember when I was in church and that person said this to me or this person? This should be our whole lives, by the way. I'm going to try it out and see what happens. Because we're supposed to invite people to church. I was invited to church a lot of times before I came. And I didn't come because somebody invited me in the end. I came because I felt God called me to come. And, so, and obviously I didn't feel God called me at the time because I didn't believe in him. But I said to my wife... And my mother-in-law, let's see what this church thing's all about. But you know, I wouldn't have said that and I wouldn't have been here if somebody hadn't invited me to this very church. Think about that. I'm your pastor now and 20 years ago, 
12, 21, 22 years ago, they started inviting me. And they continued, even though I said, I'll never step foot in church. And now I say, never tell God, never. Because he's funny. He thinks it's... It, uh, there's a few things I've told him never to, and, and I've ended up doing all of them. So now I never say never, because if I say never, God, he's going to make me do it. So I, I, I leave that never thing out of the equation anymore. So... Here's the thing, none of us, none of us, it's not just my job, none of us can rest until all who need to hear this message of God's great love have heard it. And while you have breath in your lungs and an ability to share the message of Jesus Christ, you should be doing it. See, if your life has become dull and boring, if things seem hopeless or meaningless, then go to God who makes all things new and let him change your life. Augustine of Hippo lived a life of dispensation prior to his conversion. See, He loved women. He hung out with prostitutes all the time. He, we're talking 200, three, uh, three, four, three or 400 AD, somewhere around there. What? No, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a priest, actually. He was a priest and he's very good. If you ever read uh, Confessions of Augustine, it's an amazing book. It's, it's long and it's, it's hard to read, but it, it's amazing because it walks through his whole life and how much sin he had in his life. But after he had changed his life, when he finally grasped Jesus as his Savior, he was noticed on the street by a prostitute he had previously frequented. She called to him, Augustine, It is I. He ignored her while. She continued, Augustine, it is I. And he finally replied, Yes, but it is no longer I. See, when something wonderful happens to us, we can't wait to tell about it. See, when a couple gets engaged... You can't stop them telling other people that they're engaged. They will tell perfect strangers that they're engaged. They will go places just so, and put their fingers down, especially ladies will put their hands down with their engagement ring, just so somebody, oh, that's a nice engagement ring. You engaged? Then they could tell, go, oh yeah, we're getting married on such and such day and, and blah, 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 blah. And they'll go on and on and they'll be so excited to share about it. You see, you see, why is it that Christians seem so shy about telling people the greatest thing that ever happened to them? 
Why is it? Why is it we're so afraid to tell people about Jesus? Why do we even hesitate? Why do we even care what people think? Because here's the thing is, I'm glad that people didn't care what I thought. And they kept asking me to come to church. And they knew how offended I was when they would ask me. And they knew that I thought this, by the way, I thought this church was a cult. So that shows you where I was. So I, I, I told several people that my dad belonged to a cult. So, but they still invited me and kept inviting me. And, and here's the thing is, sometimes I think, why are we afraid of what they're going to say back to us? What's the worst thing they can do? Yeah. What is the worst thing somebody could do if you invite them to church? There is nothing. You could just invite somebody. If they say no, big deal. It's like praying for people. When you see people and they're hurting, and we go, oh, should I ask them if they're because they might not be Christians, and if I ask them if they're... You know how many people will tell you no? They can be the, the staunchiest atheist in the world, and if they're suffering, and you say, can I pray for you? 99% of them will say yes. And we don't do it. See, we need to be people that want to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Because of what he's done in our life. He has made us new. Not perfect. Still a little broken. But new where it counts. He's still peeling them layers back. Still working on all that sin. But I want to tell you one thing today, and if this is the only thing you take from this message, is you are a new creation. Okay? Don't live in the mistakes of your past. Everyone in here has made mistakes. Everyone has done things that they could feel shame for. But the price has been paid. Don't cheapen God's grace. By not accepting it. When you don't accept what has been done for you. And you hold on to it. Like you still owe God something. And you don't deserve his grace. Because by the way you don't deserve his grace. Nobody deserves his grace. So if you think you're going to deserve his grace. That's the problem. You're never going to deserve it. If you were. If, if, if you had not done them things, you still wouldn't deserve it because you'd have done something else. See, don't live in your past anymore. It has been forgotten. Today, I want you to say to yourselves, it doesn't matter what I did yesterday or for the last how many years you've been alive. What matters is what I do today and the next day and the next day. So this week, take a look at your life 
and your walk with God. Think about the changes God has put inside you and how he is making you a new creation. Because everybody can say, he has changed you. He has changed me. I am not the same person as I was 20 years ago. And each day, thank God for something he has done and submit yourself to him so he can do even more. Because why you hold on to the past, why you keep still feeling shame and guilt for the past, he cannot fully use you because he wants you to be healed. He wants you to know that he has forgiven you. God has great plans for your life, every one of you. And the only thing that's holding you back is you holding on to something that happened a long time ago. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you that you are God of forgiveness and grace that makes it, make, that make us new every single day. That even though we, we, we mess up and even though we make mistakes, you still love us. You still pour out your love upon us. Help us to let go of our past and not hold on to it and feel the guilt and the shame from it. Because everyone in here has something they could feel guilty or shameful for that's happened a long time ago. But you said on the cross that it is finished. Let us believe them words, God. It is finished. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.